0: of that sign oh he said Hendricks I'm sorry I should have told you before you went into the pulpit he said I have been preaching for 17 years without clear cut objectives and one day it dawned on me if I didn't know what I wanted those people to do there was a very good possibility they didn't have a clue either. (laughs) Or as I tell my students at the seminary, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. (laughs) There is a seminal passage in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. I believe this is Paul's ministry objective. We proclaim Christ, he said, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Will you notice? He gives you the process. He gives you the purpose. In fact, he gives you his passion. Paul had a clear-cut objective. And it is my judgment in the realm of discipleship, this is conspicuous by its absence. Many of us have not taken adequate time to sit down and ask, what are you trying to do to these people? We are trying to develop people without ever having determined what it is that we are trying to develop. For a few moments tonight, I'd like to provoke, not paralyze your thinking by proposing five components. Five Essentials Without Which I Am Convinced You Cannot Bring People to Maturity In Christ I'm not asking you to buy these I am asking you to think about them I'm offering you a template, a model A guide And I would encourage you to do your own study, your own thinking, until you have forged that which you are convinced is what you want to develop in the life of the disciples with whom you are working. There are five things I am asking God to develop in me as well as in the lives of those with whom I am working. They all begin with the letter C, easy to remember. First of all, I am concerned about developing a group of highly committed individuals. People who have made basic decisions, following salvation. Three of them in particular. First of all, I'm interested in a group of people who have unreserved commitment to the person of Christ. You see, Christianity is Christ. Not a nice set of ideas about Christ. but Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's why you can say with authority to any individual, your Christian life does not depend upon environment, it depends upon relationship. You can live clean for Christ wherever you are, because it's not a program. It's a person. But not only people who are committed to the person of Christ, also people who are committed to the body of Christ. Not just our church. Great curse in America today is men and women involved in ministry whose primary objective is to build a church. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is building the church. He's called you to reach a community. Third, unreserved commitment to the ministry of Christ. Not only here in the community, not only across America, but around the world. And I am convinced we have never developed disciples until they are worldwide in their vision. There's the second thing I'm concerned about, and that is to develop people who are competent. And by that, I mean three things as well. Number one, I'm talking about people who know something. My friends, you cannot communicate out of a vacuum. You can't impart what you do not possess. But I'm afraid we are fixed in the evangelical community on the cognitive element. And we are overloading the circuits. And people cannot process the information. We are unloading on them. The result is, as we have discovered in some of our research, the higher the knowledge, the less the impact for Jesus Christ. How's that grab you? We're finding that the people who often have the greatest impact for Jesus Christ are new converts. And after two or three years in the mission, they've lost all contacts with the unregenerate society. And they spend all of their time on a head trip. So there are two other things we've got to include in that competency. Not only somebody who knows something, but somebody who feels something somebody who's got it in the gut, with whom this is not an academic, sort of clinical kind of experience, but with whom it's a passion. And finally, someone who is doing something, Someone who is acting on the basis of his knowledge that has moved his heart he is in the process of transforming his life. Now, you show me a person who knows something thoroughly, and who feels something deeply, and who is doing something consistently, and I will show you a competent individual. There is a third thing that we are very concerned about, and that is the development of a communicative person. That is an individual who can impart that which he possesses, not only within the body, but outside of the body within his or her sphere of influence, not only in public, but in private, not only in the marketplace, but in the home. The older I become in the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, the more I'm pressed. I am with the quality of your Christian life at home. And the less impressed I am with what you can do in a pulpit. You show me a man or a woman who walks with Jesus Christ in his home in the midst of the realities of that kind of life, I'll show you somebody who's got the real disease who's got something to communicate, because my friend, if it doesn't work at your home, don't export it. (laughs) Well, that's too convicting. Let's move on. Here's the one I want you to see. You probably wouldn't have put it down here. That's why I'm putting it here. The first thing that we are looking for is a creative Individual, that is, a person who is fully alive in Jesus Christ, who is dynamically growing, who's not a packaged individual, but a flexible person, who's not married to the status quo whose motto in life is not sung at the beginning of the worship service as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end. (laughs) We shall not be moved. (laughs) There is a fifth component, and that is, We are seeking to develop a changing individual. That is, a person who understands that Christianity is more than a crisis. It is a process. It's not static, it's dynamic. It's Jesus Christ invading every area of your life and transforming it by His grace. Second Corinthians 3.18 states it so clearly, we are being changed, transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. You see, a changing person is therefore equipped to be a change element in his society now what I'm suggesting for your thinking my friend is that you are going to have to determine whatever your particular ministry is as a layman as a professional pastor of a church leader of a group of young people missionary, navigator, you name it. You first of all are going to have to determine what you want to develop before you can ever develop what you have determined. And in the two sessions that I have in this conference, I am deliberately going to focus on these last two. Which I believe are conspicuous by their absence in the evangelical community in the process of disciple making. We are desperately in need of a larger core, particularly of young people coming up who are creative just blows my mind every time I come home my wife can tell you I'm climbing the walls when I see kids who've got more shots going for them than I ever
1: thought of having
0: entered the ministry and they're dead in the head and they're paralyzed and they're conditioned And they're frozen. And they're set in concrete. And they had somebody pour water, cold water, on them and say, you can't do that. And by now, they believe it. And for 32 years, I poured my life into convincing men and women at the seminary. Does God want you to do it? Yeah, I think he does, bruh. <laughs> Good. Then you can do it. And I'm on your team. So that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. For some of you, it won't be very spiritual, so hang on. You can pick up that in the other
1: sessions.
0: (laughs) You know I'm joking. I've entitled this session, The Contagion of Creativity. And I want to launch our study with four pontificate pronouncements. You ready for that? There are four, two words I'm always careful never to use. And there are four things you ought always, never neglect. Number one, there is no one, Underline that. No one, because I can see some of you with your heads coming up saying, I got an exception. <laughs> there is no one without significant creative potential. My friend, nothing is more convincingly proven by both research and in the laboratory of life. What you need to understand, we've got tremendous assets. God has been so good to us as evangelicals. I hope you thank God for what he's done for us. We also have limitations. Are you aware of them? One of them is, most of our people have a very low self-image. And they say, I can't. some of you know, I taught a class at the seminary for these many years in how to study the Bible for yourself. And I'm currently teaching it in downtown Dallas every Monday to about 250, 275 business professional men and women who come out during the noon hour to learn how to study the Word. And it fascinates me, because here are very, very competent, in many cases very articulate people, but they will always tell me, I don't think I can do this. (laughs) Say, so, yeah, you can. No, no. Sure, man, you can do it. No. You should see the talk down. No, yeah. <laughs> because you see that's the danger of some of us as professionals. So we need a new reformation. See, we need to return the study of the Word of God to the people. Because most people feel so inferior. And besides, Brother Henry, I don't know the Greek.
1: <laughs> and that <I'm> Hebrew, woo! <laughs>
0: I hate to tell you this, but I know a lot of other people who don't know it either. (laughs) And they took four years of it. (laughs) Boy, if you know the original languages, what a privilege. Every time I go to study my Greek or Hebrew text, I think how good God has been to me coming out of a little hell hole in Philadelphia having that resource but my friend god puts no premium on it just makes me more obligated that's all but i long since discovered there were people in my church didn't even know that the new testament was written in greek who walked with jesus christ It made me wonder if I knew what the name of the game was. You know, it's kind of a humbling experience. Sure, I can answer the question. Sure, I can give them the technical stuff. But they've got the relationship with Jesus Christ. And men and women, hear me. Hear me. Your task, if you're interested in discipleship in the 80s, is to begin to build the confidence of the people to whom God is calling you to minister. Second, conditioning is the killer of creativity. You see, creativity is frequently buried under layers of conditioning. Let me introduce you to the three embalmers. Two of them are persons and one is a phenomenon. The first group of morticians are parents who are constantly saying to their children, Hey, cut that out! Hey, that's dumb! Don't ask such stupid
1: questions!
0: you have children? My friend, you are more responsible than any human being on planet Earth for determining how creative that kid is. After all these years teaching in a graduate school, I can spot them every time. Every time I run into a guy or a gal in that seminary who's got creative juices that are functioning, I will build a relationship to them and before long say, Hey man, I'd love to meet your parents. Prompt. they're coming down next week. Would you meet them? Sure. And man, They never disappoint me. Creative parents produce creative children. Bored parents produce bored children. The second group, what the parents don't get, the teachers will. We have a number of exercises by which we try to get our students involved in the creative process. most exciting thing I do, I still can't believe they pay me to do this. Not much, but... (laughs) (laughs) And one day I said, okay, who would like to present this? And this is a key, by the way. This is what I'm talking about. Low-level feelings. Student goes like this. really hoping that I won't see him. And I just happened to be coming around. I said, okay, son, (laughs) you... The guy came up. He read a poem. The guys gave him a five-minute standing ovation. I have never heard anything. It has been published over and over again. In fact, the guy is fast becoming the poet laureate of evangelicalism. And after they got through, he sat down and the tears started coming to his eyes. I said to him, "Uh, is this the first time you've done anything like this? (sighs) Yeah. I said, how come you did it now? That I thought, you believe in me. And afterwards he came up and a group of us were standing there and he said to me, Pro- The last time I even tried to do something like this was when I was in fifth grade. And my teacher said what I thought was a bona fide offer and asked us to do a creative project. And so I knocked myself out and stayed up half the night and I brought the project in And I went up to the teacher and showed it to her so excited. And she took the thing and she said, that's dumb. And she crushed it and threw it in the wastebasket by her desk. And he said, this is the first time I've tried to do anything. But I was really convinced you meant what you said. You see, some of you look so pious looking at me tonight. You should get up here and watch it. (laughs) It's really fascinating to be up here. Well, I wish I could go up and down these rows and just get you to tell me where you were as a kid before Jesus Christ turned your life around. My friend, I was the biggest hell racer in the city of Philadelphia in my area. Man, I tore that school apart. I gave unholy fits to the Sunday school teacher. Now, I go home now, you know, and they say, Oh, Howard! <laughs> I never tell them
1: this,
0: (laughs) but I've often had the strongest urge to say, really, lady, you didn't help at all. (laughs)
1: Because I can count on that hand
0: the people who ever saw me as anything other than the brat in 7th Street. If you don't believe that, you ask your Sunday school teachers, who are the pupils you like? You know the ones they like? The quiet ones. Little girl with long curls that sits there.
1: (laughs) The little guy that never
0: peeps. Twenty years later, they never pee. (laughs) See, watch the kid that's climbing the sides of the wall. Watch the kid that's sharp enough to get into trouble. Man, he's liable to be the next missionary out of your church. Liable to be the next Billy Graham in the subsequent generations. Who knows, he could be a pastor of that outfit someday. And what we really need is a group of people who see him. Not in terms of what he is, but in terms of what he can become. That's what a teacher is supposed to be. Now the third one, and this is the beast out of the sea. (laughs) And if I ever get off on this, we'll be here all night. That's television. (laughs) The plug-in drug. You know, I've got a word for evangelicalism. You know what it is? I could wish I could go to every home across America and give a personal message about what you are doing to your children by exposing them like drug addicts to a television set. By the way, my dear brothers in Christ who are committed to preaching and teaching the Word of God, that's what you're up against. And my friend, you can preach yourself blue in the face from now till Jesus comes, but until some of our disciples get off that drug, you are going to put one input into their mind Sunday morning, Sunday night, couple times during the week, but everything is going to be contradicted by what they are hearing during the course of a week. It's a counterproductive route. And that's part of the explanation some of you are asking penetrating questions as to why is it that more of the Word of God is not getting into the lives of people and changing them as it is capable of doing? Because they are being brainwashed by their culture, and mostly through television. It's the killer of creativity. There is a third pronouncement that I want you to run through your mind. It's the most encouraging one. And that is the conditioning process can be reversed. It is not fatal. It's possible to peel off those layers of conditioning. But you need to know, not without effort, not without cost. This is why, my friends, and I have students coming all the time, as you can believe, at the seminary who say to me, Hey, Prof, I really want to get with it. Man, I like to get involved. A little creative group you got going. My first question is, how badly... Do you want to get involved? See, I've done this long enough to know that most people only have a superficial interest in this. It's obvious they're suffering from a severe case of the blahs. You don't have to be too brilliant to pick that up. But they don't want to pay the price to become a fully alive individual. To reverse that process To get rid of the hardening of the categories. It's been going on for some time. Here's the fourth one. And this is a beautiful one. And that is. Creativity. Please turn to side two. One. And that is. Creativity is a lifestyle. It's not a method. That's why it's missed. There's no such thing as sitting down and saying, I shall now proceed to be created. My friend, you are creative in everything you are doing. You are creative when you are wrapping presents. You are creative when you are making love. You are creative when you are expressing worship to God. And by the way, that's why worship is at such a low level. We don't know what in the world to do with ourselves. It's not until it pervades every area of your life. Why, good night. Some of you dear people walk into a restaurant and they automatically order from the menu. You know, they know what you're going to get. Why don't you fool them sometime? You know, oh, you don't want this tonight? No. Being creative. Wouldn't that blow them away? Good night. they have to take the thing back in again. Serve it to somebody else. <laughs> and I want to ask and answer two questions. First question I want to ask and answer is why. Why be interested in creativity? What's this got to do with the process of discipleship, if you haven't picked this up by now? And secondly, how can I as an individual begin to develop it? I'm so jealous for you. Interesting thing in talking to both speakers, talking to some of the workshop leaders, those who put this thing together, people on the ground, say, man, I don't think I have ever been in a conference where there are more alive people than we got in this conference. Man, that augurs well for our future. Because a lot of you are going to be around when some of the rest of us are pushing daisies. We're counting on you to make an impact for Jesus Christ in the next generation. I want to give you three reasons. Can't develop them? I'll let you do that. How's that? Number one. You ought to be concerned about creativity because of the nature of our God. There is a yeasty verse of scripture in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. You may have passed over it. Where we read, be imitators of God. See, one of the searching questions you need to ask is, what kind of a God am I related to? Well, you are related to the most creative God. So creative that no two snowflakes are exactly alike. So creative that no two fingerprints are identical. So so creative that no two of us have the same voice print totally distinguishable so creative that Agassiz the great scientist was asked on one occasion how did you spend your vacation he said I spent all summer and I got halfway across the backyard (laughs) G.K. G.K. Chesterton said it so clearly the world will never starve for wonders, but only for the want of wonder. See, we've lost our sense of wonder. We've forgotten what kind of a God it is. And that's the whole argument of First John. He's a God of light, therefore walk as children of light. He's a God of love, therefore walk as children of love. He's a God of life. Therefore, walk in newness of life. The kind of person He is is the kind of person we are in the process of becoming. And I don't know about you, but so often I say, how in the world can I be related to such a creative God and be so dull? One writer said it's embarrassing to belong to a generation that can take anything as exciting as truth and make it dull. Second, you ought to be interested in creativity and discipleship because of the nature of the Christian life. John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus Christ said, I am come that they might have life. I mean really live. Are you living or just existing? John eight thirty six. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. But isn't it tragic, men and women? You work with them all the time. Isn't it tragic to run into people who claim to be Christians who are living in bondage? I came out of the Philadelphia area an extremely legalistic Christian background. You wouldn't believe how legalistic. I came to Dallas Theological Seminary I can still remember in a freshman class with Ray, hearing about the grace of God, and I kept saying, God, I can't take anymore. I'd run out of the class and go up to my room and throw myself across the bed and say, Lord, why didn't somebody tell me that? You see, the average believer is on a performance basis. He's quite convinced he's going to work and impress God. And so everything he does is geared to this. Now, I repudiated legalism back in 1946 in Dallas Seminary, intellectually. Intellectually. But to this day, I believe I'm still struggling with it emotionally. That's how scarring is that disease. And I feel that many of the people in our churches today really need to hear the words of Jesus to Lazarus. Loose them and let him go. Why, man, when you come to understand the freedom, the true freedom that is in Jesus Christ, it's like getting saved all over again. And you begin to enjoy the Christian life. See, I, you know, I mean, pardon the conviction in this, okay? I have often wondered, maybe this is the reason why a lot of people don't want to be Christians, they've been watching us.
1: <laughs>
0: Terrible thought, isn't it? And it's really not that much of an option. Oh, I'll make it more convicting. Maybe that's the reason why a lot of people don't want to go into the ministry. See, people have asked me all the time, how do you account for the fact that a lot of kids who come out of Christian homes have such negative views toward the ministry? Well, obviously, you can't make a generalization on it, but it is amazing how often they were caught Perhaps by a pastor, perhaps by a wife, who were negative. Oh, not out front, because we're the generation of Assad, you know. Oh, hey, <laughs> hey praise the Lord you now. <laughs> but you understand, behind a smile is a set of teeth. And we're like many women. Yes, I'm submissive. <laughs> <laughs> and to be liberated in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what's got me shook up. Will you allow me one for myself? It's the over 50 group. Walt Hendrickson asked me a question not too long ago. I wish these guys wouldn't ask me these questions. He said, Hendricks, how many men do you know, over 50, who are still tracking for Jesus Christ? Answer, not that many. You see, a lot of them are reaching for the bench. Is there sliding for home? Is they talking about retirement, man? Woo! We're going to do, oh, I'll play golf. Hey, I'll bet that's a millennial experience. <laughs> and, you know, after you play that for 30 days, man... You know, I'd want to go home to heaven. <laughs> Much more excited, My friend, you may retire from a job, but you don't retire from life. And you don't retire from a ministry. Why, man, I know people in their 90s have got some of the finest ministry I have ever seen. And here are people who ought to be tearing the world apart Reaching for the bench. I guess that's why I love Caleb, don't you?
1: Hey, give me that mountain!
0: Wow, you know, Caleb. Hello, Larry. 80. <laughs> Roughest territory. Well, Tempest is getting Third. You ought to be interested in creativity because of the nature of our calling. Study it for yourself. Matthew 5, what does it tell you? You, that's emphatic, by the way, in the original text. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world the purpose of salt? The purpose of salt is to penetrate. What's the purpose of light? The purpose of light is to illuminate. But you can't penetrate when it's lost its saltiness. You can't illuminate when you got the thing hidden under a bushel. And this is what we're doing in our churches. We're hiding it. We're developing tasteless individuals who really have lost their taste for the real action out where the people are. And isn't it something to live in this kind of a society, jaded, suffering from a mania of mediocrity, screaming on the inside, For lack of leadership, it's only Woody Allen that could come up with a statement like this. More than any other time in history, mankind faces a crossroads. One path leads to despair and utter helplessness. The other to total extinction. (laughs) Let us pray we have the wisdom... To choose correctly. <laughs> wow. Pagans more insightful than the children of God. And I guess what bothers me in the midst of this, and in terms of at least of the years that I've been in this thing, I have never seen a world more responsive. I happen to believe we're living in a generation that's more responsive, more eager to hear our message than most of us are to declare it. But what do we have? Well, we have a collection of copycats who run all over the place the seminars, the tapes, the books, to, you know, films, whatever else is coming down the line. But you see, this is our mentality. You know, when are we going to get churches? I mean like your church. Where you, as a pastoral staff, together with your elders, your deacons, the people who really got the vision for the community, are going to go off someplace, get down on your knees and say, Oh God, tell us what you want us to do to reach this community for Jesus Christ. And when you come up with a creative idea, will you make me a promise? Don't put it in a book. Don't tell somebody else how to do it. Don't offer a seminar. Because that's what's killing us. That's what's slicing our throats. The result is we are not coming up with the kind of creative penetration we need and that's available to us right now, such as has never been available to to us in the history of the United States. I think in the history of the world. Well, you say, what can I do? Let me give you just a couple things. The time we've got left. How to activate creativity. And by the way, all of these are available to you. You don't even have to come to the seminary to develop these. In fact, that might not help you at all. Number one, experience. See, I'm looking out on people who are 40. Would you believe 45? Even ancient ones, 50. 55. Would you believe 60 going up? And you got them in your churches. And by the way, some of them are retiring early. And some of them have got bucks. And some of them have finally gotten the message that they put their money on a dead horse. They got the picture they are in the process of checking out. Like a guy said to me in Dallas, covered over with money Man, I threw my life away, Hendrix! And I want to spend the rest of my life making my life, my money, my talent, my energy count for Jesus Christ. And man, is he making an impact for the Savior. There are a lot of these people running around loose. we just got to get our hooks into them. We've got to expose them. And these are often people with experience that we need to tack. We need to start living it up and enjoying the things that God is bringing into our life. Secondly, be sure to use problem-solving. You know, I can always tell where a person is by how they view their ministry. Whether they see it as a problem or whether they see it as potential. See, I don't know any ministry that doesn't have problems. I'm talking about the best ministries I know. In fact, some of the better ones have some of the more serious problems. That's why they do See, if you're not doing anything, if you're dead, you know, what problems do you have? (sighs) You know, finally dawned on me one day, that's why a Christian is not simply a person who doesn't do certain things. Man, we got a cemetery down the street from our church. People in there don't do anything. (laughs) And I happen to believe the whole problem-solving process is one of the great challenges of our time, particularly in the church. Ray and I were having a beautiful conversation as he was sharing to me some of the things that God is leading them to do. I think that's why God's hand continues to rest upon the work, and that is they don't get frozen into something that was terrific back there in 19. I was in the church recently you know we took a survey man have they got a program incredible program for
1: 1946
0: (laughs) too bad they're not in 46 but if they were they're loaded for bear (laughs) see this is where you get the true statement we are answering the questions nobody's asking. And the stuff that's kicking the slats out of our people's lives, we never get around to talking. You know why? I'll tell you, this will be a little hard, but hang on. I love you. We talk too much. And we listen too little. Good communicators are not good talkers. They're good listeners. And you need to get around laymen. You need to have breakfast with them and lunch with them and invite the families over for dessert and pick the guy's brains and find out, oh hey, man, what's going on in the alligator pit? And man, will they fill you in on the details. That's what we ought to be talking about. I guess what hurts me most as a preacher of the Word of God and particularly sold out to men who were called to this kind of a ministry is the realization in our studies that the average layman sees no connection between what you are saying on Sunday morning and what happens in his office 8 o'clock on Monday morning. How tragic. Third, hobbies and the fine arts. See, there's a direct correlation. I discovered this early on as I was trying to find out who are my creative students. You know who they are? Oftentimes they're musicians. Oftentimes they're artists. Oftentimes they're people who are very, very sensitive and gifted in these areas. But you see, what happens to our kids? All we do is to come out and have a record-burning ceremony or some other ridiculous thing to get our kids off a rock. And they say, do you ever educate these kids that there are other forms of music? We discovered that our young people, man, really chow on Bach and Beethoven. <laughs> Well, moving right along. (laughs) Fourth, reading. And I'll tell you where we're off. Most of us read too much of our own literature. That's right. So we read the people with whom we agree. And all that does is fortify your prejudices. But it doesn't stretch you. It doesn't develop you. It doesn't force you to think on the other side. And in addition to reading the material you ought to be reading, you need to read something outside of your field. For instance, have you read the book In Search of Excellence? you read the book Trends. I happen to believe the book In Search of Excellence is the best book written about the church and it has nothing to do with the church. But, you know, most people say, well, you know, that's a secular book and there isn't even a verse of scripture in there. Right, read this for verses of scripture. Set fit writing. I am doing some exciting things with some young people, getting them keeping a journal. Any of you ever read my great friend Jim Elliott's journal? It ever occur to you that he was a student with me at Wheaton College years ago? I still read. Back on that material, I cannot believe how young that guy was when he read that, wrote that stuff. Why? Because most of the stuff that we got going on in the youth program is an insult to the intelligence of the kids involved. You got a nice little Mickey Mouse program with entertainment. And a little kid comes up to me one day and says to me, Hey, mister, you're in this church, Jazz. When's the church going to go out of the entertainment business? So if I want entertainment, I go to the Statler Hilton in downtown Dallas and get a first-rate show. I'm tired of this fifth-rate performance in the church. We see, here we are, back to that imitating, copycat. And they're smarter than we are. They can see right through it. And I'm finding kids who are really doing some very penetrating thinking. And we're getting kids to write this stuff down and put it in poetic form and free verse. Put it into music. Put it into some drama that we're doing out on the university campus. You should see the stuff. We get five, six hundred kids just like that who come out for a drama presentation that's pure gospel. But it's creatively done. And it's done by kids who years ago people say you can't get them interested in the church. Of course not. If we're going to continue to go about it the way we go about it. Six. By asking questions, do you ever notice that creative people are often bothersome people?
1: <laughs>
0: you're one of them, you mean? Do you ever notice you're know, say, Hey! In fact, watch your kids, you know. Hey, Dad, how come? Why? What well, What are we doing this for? we are you only outblown?
1: You're only block
0: well, uh, you know, we as, uh, consequently, where from? Uh, It's a good question, son. Go ask your mother. I think my oldest son, who's working with search ministries, has taught me more about the skill of asking questions than any other person I've been exposed to. And the reason is, he used to bother the daylights out of me. We started finally Pop's Theology class. Because, you know, he get all of these things, you know, and, and I discovered things that students at the seminary would never ask you. But your kids don't mind asking you. Spend time with creative people. See, my friends, creativity is caught more than taught. And I think back to some of the people who marked me. They were creative individuals. And Ray apparently told you about our pecan theology, and we've joked about that through the years, but Ray, I've told hundreds of classes. Some of the best seminary education I ever got. I got out under that pecan tree Two o'clock in the morning, Ray Steadman and I going at it. And he'd take one side and I'd take the other. What are we going to do when we get out of here as far as the church is concerned? That's where we hammered out our philosophy of church ministry. And I believe that some of you dear people are so highly infectious that you need to be taking young people along with you as a mentor and build into their life, and infect them. And I'm not just talking about you men. I'm talking about you women. You women keep saying, you know, what? what can I do? Why, man, you got gods of opportunity. We still haven't picked up the picture of Titus chapter 2, that the function of an older woman is to teach younger women. See, we're really out to lunch on that in the church. And it's as clear as the nose on your face. You don't even need any interpretation for that. No disagreement on that theologically. We just don't practice it. And I discovered that my dear bride Jean has as great, if not a greater ministry at the seminary than I ever thought of having. With seminary wives. Many of whom come over to our house and say, Jean, what does it mean to be a Christian woman? What does it mean to be a mother? You know, I don't have any models. Well, what's one what look like? And they spend time with you. John Henry Newman said it. Never forget it. Fear not. That your life will come to an end, but it, that it will never have a beginning. And digress, my great passion tonight for you, as well as the body of Christ, is that there's so many people who have come to Christ and who are eternally saved but they're burned out. They really don't know anything of life abundant in Jesus Christ, of being liberated through the cross work of the Savior. My prayer for you is that he will raise up out of this group some highly creative individuals who in turn will have this as a high-priority item in your process of discipleship. Let's pray.